So how's everybody tonight? Yeah, good? Happy? Where's your pie pan, babe? <laughs> All right, if you have your Bibles with you, let's open it up to Deuteronomy chapter 7, and we'll uh, continue our study through the book of Deuteronomy. Again, remembering Deuteronomy literally means uh, the second telling of the law, or the repeating of the law. In essence, it's Moses' final words to the children of Israel. A new generation has come. They're on the cusp of entering into the promised land. And Moses wants to reiterate some final points. He's leaving them. Moses is on his way and, and entering in. The children of Israel, Joshua, will lead them uh, in victory to take the promised land. But before they go, Moses has some parting words. And so all the way through the book of Deuteronomy, you have basically three uh, messages that, that Moses speaks to the people. And uh, literally, the Hebrew name is, in essence, Moses speaks. It's his final word. So as we take a look at chapter 7, we're in his second, we find ourselves in his second sermon, if you will. Uh, it's going to run all the way to chapter 28 or thereabouts. As uh, he's going over for them, we, we saw last time going over the law. He's going over the concept of make sure you teach this to your children. Don't just focus on yourself. Get, get inwardly focused and forget to teach or train up your kids so that they, that generation will walk after you. I, I find it interesting that when we see this put into practice, the children of Israel enter into the promised land. Joshua gives them the great victory. He he closes the book out with his famous speech to the children of Israel saying, Choose this day who you're going to serve. As for me and my family, we're going to serve the Lord. Stay focused. And we don't even make it one book. We come to Judges and it says there's no king in Israel. And everybody did what was right in his own eyes. Now there was a king in Israel. His name was Yahweh. But they weren't following him as king already by that point. And we see really the promised land as the children of Israel go in to conquer the promised land. What you see in Judges is the promised land conquering the children of Israel. All the way through, the things that are going to help them experience victory, Moses talks about in the book of Deuteronomy. The things that are going to help us experience victory in our Christian walk. Because you guys know as well as I do. Put in your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's, that's, that's what gets us started on the road. But then there's this whole lifetime of what it means to walk with God and how we walk with God and how we walk in victory and how we experience victory. And Moses lays out for us in Deuteronomy those things that the same way that we want to watch out, that we want to make spiritual applica application to. He begins in chapter 7, verse 1 with this, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess... And has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you will conquer them. Now there's a couple of things he lays out for us that I think we, we, we need to make application. First, it's God who brings them into the land, but it's their job to what? Possess it. God brings them to the land, brings them right there to the Jordan River to, 
to the gateway into Canaan, but they had to put their feet in the Jordan River, right? You remember when God had them cross the Red Sea, the Red Sea parted for them. When they needed to cross the Jordan, what happened? They had to put their feet in the water. When the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant's feet hit the water, then the water parted. God says, listen, I'm going to bring you to the land, but you've got to possess it. So often in our spiritual walk with the Lord... We want to grow. We want to draw near to the Lord. We want to, we want to be as close to him as we can be. But the Lord, we, we want God to kind of lay out the plan for us so we can clearly see it and then walk. And what does the Lord say? He says, walk, and I'll clearly show you the path. You walk with me. Follow me. Here we go. We're going to, we're going to go together. The scripture lays out for us that the word of God becomes a, a lamp unto our feet, Right? And a light to our path. But oftentimes it, that, those things get ignored. Listen, they, God brought them to the land they had to possess. 300,000 square miles God gave them. A tenth is all they ever had. Today, less than that. Roughly 10,000, 7,000 square miles, something like that today. At their zenith with Solomon, 30,000. God's promise, 300,000. To me, that just speaks the fact that God has so much more for us than what we ever really walk in, what we're ever really willing to experience, wherever we're really willing to go. Are we willing to say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm ready. I want to go. I want to have everything that you that you have for me today. What what do you have? What do you what do you want me to walk? Where do you want me to go? Having that attitude. He says, listen. I want you to go and I want you to possess. And then the Lord says in verse 2, the Lord your God delivers them to you, but what? You will conquer them. You see, God says, in essence, I give you the victory, but you got to go, pull out the sword, make your battle, you know, formulate your, your battle formations and go. I'll give you the victory. It's settled, but you got to conquer them. You got to go in and you got to make it happen. And really, that's what the same way in our relationship, we want to walk in the victorious Christian life. Guys, we already today have the victory in Jesus Christ. The battle's over, battle's won. But it's up to us to conquer, to conquer the old man. The Bible says, reckon the old man dead. He has no power in our life at all. But for most of us, the old man still controls our choices, where we go, what we do, what we say. God says, I've given you the victory, you conquer. Just like he told them. Hey, I, I, you got the victory, you go conquer. Go to work. Wherever they went to battle, God was with them and he gave them the victory. And the same way is true for you and I. We want to pull down the strongholds in our life. The Spirit of God is is mighty for pulling down strongholds. He's mighty for giving us victory and and delivering us from the old man, from the flesh, from the sin nature. All those things, God's already wrought the victory for at the cross. It's up to us to conquer. If we sit back and think, okay, God, make this go away, we're missing the boat. Life is all about conflict and overcoming. Jesus said, we are, we, we are overcomers, right? And Paul laid that out for us. We are more than, than conquerors in Christ Jesus. We want to experience the victory that we have to understand. God delivers, we conquer. And then he says, the second part of verse 2, utterly 
destroy them. Make no covenant with them, and, and nor show mercy to them. It's funny, because still today I hear people look at the Old Testament, the battles that God told the children of Israel, go and utterly wipe them out. And then they look at the New Testament as though that's a different God. Then you ought to read Revelation. Because when Jesus comes back, that's what he's doing. He's going to tread the winepress of the fierceness of God's wrath alone. The blood will flow to the horse's bridle, you know, through the valley of Jezreel, which is 180 miles long. That's not a little valley. It's not like a little hole in the ground. So this is still the same God, the God of justice. Same God working. And the message that he gives us here, the Canaanites, those who are in the land, become in the scripture a picture of sin. And we're not supposed to have any mercy with that. Don't play with it. Don't mess around with it. Don't tickle it. Don't say, well, I'll just leave that over there. It'll be okay. What happens in our life personally when we don't utterly abolish the sin in our life? We say, oh, well, I'm just going to leave that in the corner. And I'm just not going to touch it. Really? How's that work out for you? It never works out. He says, utterly destroy it. Give no foothold to the enemy. No place where, where Satan can, can tear us down. But the problem is, most of the struggles in our life are caused because of that desire within our flesh and an in, uh, inability or unwillingness to conquer, utterly destroy that, that stronghold. We have mercy on it. We have mercy on it, and it comes back to bite us. See, that's what God's saying here. No mercy, utterly destroy, completely abolish. Did they do it? No. What happened? The book of Judges. And ad infinitum, the children of Israel are going to struggle with these same issues creeping up in their life because they didn't utterly destroy them, didn't separate themselves. What did God say in Leviticus? Separate yourself. Step away from those things. The Bible says to cast away every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us. But we often still truck around with that weight hanging around our neck. And we say, well, it's not a sin. No, you're right. It's not a sin. It's a weight. That which does not help you to walk with the Lord the way God's calling you to walk hinders you from walking with God the way God's called you to walk. In the New Testament, he says, cast aside the weight and step away from that sin that so easily ensnares you. The easiest example is, if I'm struggling with, with alcohol or alcoholism, I probably shouldn't go to the bar. I probably shouldn't even walk through a store where I'm going to find myself having to pass through a liquor section before I get to the, the vegetables or whatever I'm in there to get. Maybe I don't go to that store at all. Hey, there's... There's always an idea, a concept, utterly destroy, completely abolish, cut it out. That, see, that's how God wants him to deal with, with sin in the land of Canaan, with the Canaanites. Utterly destroy him. If you leave one standing, he will infect you. And that's what they did. They left one standing, and he infected them. But this is still to us today. This is the key. This is the key for us. Nor shall you make marriages with them. What does it say in the New Testament? Do not be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. For what fellowship has the light with darkness? Here Moses says, don't, don't mix marriage with them. 
You will not give your daughter your son, nor take their daughter for your son. Why? For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. You remember Solomon the king, wisest guy on earth, right? God bestowed upon him wisdom that man today can't even fully grasp or understand. Gave him every gift that he needed to be king. And he laid out for all the kings in the law. Not to multiply gold. Not to multiply horses. Not to multiply wives. He said, don't multiply your gold because you're going to start putting your trust in your money. Don't multiply horses because you're going to put your trust in the power of your army. Don't multiply wives because they'll turn your heart away from the God you serve. What happened to Solomon? Scripture tells us they turned his heart away from the Lord. And it wasn't just enough for him to have a couple extra wives. I mean, he went way over the top. So this is the same kind of concept. Hey, don't mix. There's, n- there's nothing, no reason to unite together as one light with darkness. Light with darkness. He says, there's no fellowship there. They will cause your sons to turn away from following me. And the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you will deal with them. You will destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, cut down their wooden images, and burn the carved images with fire. Now sometime on your own, after considering what we look at tonight in Deuteronomy, I want you to read through First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Over and over and over again, you're going to study different kings from the two different tribes of Israel, the two different kingdoms, when the kingdom split. And you're going to discover something. All those altars are still around. And the groves, they're still there. Josiah causes a revival to take place in the land by going through and destroying them all. We see Gideon doing the same thing at the time of the Judges. God said, don't even keep those places where they used to worship. The scripture calls them the high places. What would they do? Guys, they would go to those high places and they would build like a garden. And the garden would be full of phallic symbols, either made of stone, made of wood, the groves. That's what the groves were. They were carved up trees. And they would worship false deity, false gods. And always their worship centered around some type of sexual practice. And the offspring of those, those sexual encounters would often then be offered as a sacrifice to the gods. That way it's not complicating anybody's lives. So that was what the world was like for them. And God said, go in and, and wipe them all, tear them down. Don't leave anything standing. But all through the scripture, we're going to see them. God says, listen, if you want to experience true, victorious life, you got to make a break from sin and you can't play with the stuff. You can't leave those things standing in your life. Even saying, I'm not going to go there no more. I'm not going to go to that website or I'm not going to watch that movie or I'm not going to go do this thing, whatever it is. If we don't destroy it, if we don't tear it down, if we don't remove it, It comes back, and it doesn't just haunt us. It haunts our kids, grandkids. Several generations down the line from the time of Moses, 
we still see him struggling with the exact same things. God says, tear him down. Utterly destroy the altar, the pillars, and the wooden images. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the people on the face of the earth. Now, right about now, they're feeling pretty good about themselves, huh? Man, what was it about me that you loved the best, God? My sparkling personality, rugged good looks. What is it, God? I mean, no, you can tell me. What, what really is it? Well, that's what he says in the next verse. In the next verse, he says, Now the Lord did not set his love on you or choose you because you were more in number than any of the other people, for you are the least of all the people. God didn't pick you because you were so great. God didn't pick you because there were so many of you. And literally the word love that he uses there is hashak. He's saying God didn't fall in love with you because you're great. God didn't fall in love with you because of of your size or your ability or or, or any of those things. God didn't fall in love with you because of that. But in verse 8 he says, but because the Lord loves, that word is achar, it means unconditional love motivated by a promise or a covenant. So God, but because God loves you unconditionally, because he promised, because he, he chose you, and because he would keep the oath that he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand, redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. He says, listen, God didn't fall in love with you because you're so great. I chose to love you because of the promise I made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I choose to love you. Well, this would be a good time for me to turn off my cell phone. <laughs> Do you ever wonder who doesn't know what I'm doing tonight? <laughs> yeah, hello. Yeah, I'm in church right now. <laughs> so listen, that's the, that's the deal. The Lord's saying, I fell in love with you because I chose to love you. Same exact thing he says about the church doesn't he call the the church his own special treasure peculiar people the same same phraseology is used in regard why because that's the way god loves is it is that freeing listen this is why that's important to understand if god loved you because you were so good looking what happens when you're not good looking anymore if god loved you because you were righteous or good then what happens when you stumble and fall? Does God not love you anymore? But when God says, I love you because I choose to love you and fulfill the promise that I made to your fathers to you, how, does, how do you mess that up? You can't. Because the love that God gives you was before you ever did anything to earn it. The Bible says it like this in the New Testament. In this is the love of God. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. Not, we didn't ask. We didn't do. He did. He, why does he love us? He chose to love us. For God so loved the world. The world. John three sixteen. God loved his creation and everyone in it so much that he did everything to make that relationship right. So what do I do to make God love me more? That's the whole point that God's saying here. I don't love you because you're great. I don't love you because you're mighty. I don't love you because you're, you're, you're the biggest or the best nation out there. 
I love you because I choose to love you with an unconditional love. Remember the words unconditional. Unconditional love, a hot, unconditional love. That means you, don't have, you can't do nothing to mess it up. It's not on condition. It is given, freely given. He chooses to love them, and therefore he brought them out. So in verse 9 he says, Therefore know that your Lord your God, he is God, the faithful God who keeps covenant. First thing he says about him, the faithful God who keeps covenant. What's that mean? God keeps his promises. Every single one. We can hold on to those promises. We can hold on to them. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, said the Lord of the nation Israel. Thoughts of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Is that true? Does God have in mind for the nation of Israel that they would have a future and a hope? Well, I see the Lord still working. 1948, 2,000 years not being a nation. Now they're a nation again. God fulfilling his promise to Ezekiel the prophet. But while they were not a nation and while they were going through the storms and the troubles and the testings, were they not in the apple of God's eye at that point? Sure they were. God was working all things out. He was opening eyes, closing doors, showing the world that he is God, the faithful God who keeps his promises even to a people who are unfaithful. For God remains faithful. He will not deny himself. That's what the scripture lays out for us in the New Testament. Also, not just who keeps covenant, but who keeps mercy. What is mercy? Not getting what you deserve. That's mercy. Not getting what you... What about the the people of Canaan? They were sinners, right? What's the scripture say about sin? The soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death every single time and god gave mercy for 400 years to the same people who rebuked his name and the scripture says hated him and as a result at the end of 400 years god brings his judgment and uses the children of israel to do it there's still god of mercy he's still merciful for a thousand generations with those who love me and keep my commandments first john chapter 3 first john chapter 4 first john all the way through tell us all about the fact that god is love and those who love god will love like god and then he says and you'll keep my commandments the commandments of god and they won't be burdensome because you love me because you love me, what, what, what is the commandment? We talked about it last time. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In these all, the law and the prophets are fulfilled. So how do I keep the law? I love God. If I love God, I keep the law. This is what he's laying out. This is what he wants them to understand. And he repays those who hate him to their face. To destroy them. He will not be slack with him who hates him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore you will keep the commandment, the statutes, the judgments, which I command you today to observe them. Follow. Because God will, everybody, man, woman, and child, gets their time before the king. What that time before the king is like is up to us. 
and what we did with his son. And he's going to deal with it all. He will deal with every wrong that was ever wrought, every right. The perfect and righteous judge. He goes on in verse 12. And it shall come to pass, because you listen to these judgments, keep and do them, that the Lord your God will keep with you the covenant and the mercy which he swore to your fathers. And he will love you and bless you and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your land, the grain and your new wine and your oil, the increase of your cattle and the offspring of your flock in the land of which he swore to your fathers to give to you. And you will be blessed above all people. There shall not be a male or female barren among you or among your livestock. And the Lord will take away from you all sickness and will afflict you with none of the terrible diseases of Egypt, which you have known, but will lay them on all those who hate you. Listen, God says this is a part of the, the Mosaic Covenant. If you keep this, I will do this. And the, the children of Israel were given that promise. But the ability to do it, they didn't have. Because within the law is not the, the power to keep the law. In the law, we don't have that power comes through the Holy Spirit, which is given to the church. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into them and gives them the power, the strength, the, the strength of the resurrection of, of the dead that, that Jesus Christ has. And, and the ability to walk with God and fulfill those things that God wants us to do. They didn't have that opportunity. That's why the Bible says in the book of Galatians that the law was until who? The law was until Christ. Christ fulfilled the law, completed the law. Now we complete or fulfill the law through our relationship with Jesus Christ. It's what Paul writes to us in the book of Galatians. So we see here the if-then of the covenant. And you shall destroy all the people whom the Lord your God delivers over to you. And your eye will have no pity on them. Nor shall you serve their gods, for it will be a snare to you. Interesting, because when you go to Israel today, you get a chance sometimes to go through different areas where they got some archaeological digs. And in some of those uh, uh, museums, I guess is the term, but where they have the things that they've got out from the, from the digs are hundreds of thousands of Canaanite deities Little gods, little molds, little carvings that filled the houses of Israel. Everywhere. God said, listen, these things are going to be a snare. Stay away from them. Ultimately, we we read uh, in the scriptures that the children of Israel, especially in the prophets Jeremiah and Isaiah, they began sacrificing their own children, just like the Canaanites did. That was the snare of those deities that they were supposed to wipe out. Now, if you should say in your heart, these nations are greater than I, how can I dispossess them? You shall not be afraid of them, but you will remember well that the Lord your God, or what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all of Egypt. To have faith for the future, you have to remember the past. To have faith, For the future, you have to remember the past. That's what Moses says. Hey, guys, if you're (coughs) getting afraid, how are we going to win? How can we be delivered from these people? What does he say? You shall what? Remember. 
remember what God did in Egypt. Not only that, remember what God is doing in your life. When the writer of Hebrews talks about this people, the people who were unable to enter into the promised land because of fear, because of the fear of the Anakim, they didn't go in, and Kadesh Barnea. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. They did not go in because what they heard was not mixed with faith. They heard that God would deliver it, but they did not mix that with faith. They didn't, they didn't believe. They didn't trust. They couldn't look back over what they had done. Remember this year-long journey we've just had and how God's been with us all along the way. The Bible tells us faith comes how? Faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. Hearing the word of God, looking as we are tonight at the Old Testament and how God delivered his people, considering how God works in our life, the pictures God shows us in our own life. That's what energizes the faith in our life to to mix with the truth of God's word and say, yes, God is able and he'll do it. So Moses says, when you guys start to struggle, when you are starting to lose sight and you see your enemies, the giants are so big, remember what God has done in your life. Remember what he did in the past. The great trials which your eyes saw, the signs and the wonders, the mighty hand, the outstretched arm by which the Lord your God brought you out, so shall the Lord your God do to all the peoples of whom you are afraid. That's why it was so important in Deuteronomy chapter 6 that they taught the children. Because a generation is going to come up and they don't have your experiences. But they should have your stories. They should have the stories about what God did in your life and how God delivered and how God saw you through. Growing up my life, most of the stories I got around home from my father circled around one aspect or another of the Marine Corps. So where'd I end up? In the Marine Corps. Because it was such a great thing to do? Because the stories my dad told me. I wanted to, to do the same kind of things. Follow, if you will, in those footsteps. That's why the Lord says you teach them Teach them diligently to your children, wherever you are, when you're walking, when you're sitting, when you're around the house, share with them what God has done in your life, how God has delivered you, because they're eventually going to have their own experiences. But before those experiences occur, they're going to have to mix the stories with faith, the remembrances of what God had done before them. This generation, they were... Knee-high to a grasshopper when they cross the Red Sea. It wasn't the same experience as their parents had, right? What about the generation after them? They'd never even seen the water heaped up. Or the generation after them. And how many generations does it take before that's all washed away if we don't fulfill that role? Teaching them. Showing them. Reading the stories of God. I wasn't at the, the... Red Sea, but because I believe that God parted the Red Sea and delivered the people, when I see crazy, insurmountable odds in my life, I can mix the truth of God's word with faith 
and believe, put my trust in him. For we know all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Because I apply the truth that I've learned. That's what he's saying. Listen, we've got to do that. We've got to mix it with faith. God is able. Do you believe that? Well, it's on us to teach the next generation. And it's on them the next and so on and so on. Verse 21, I love this verse, says, You shall not be terrified of them. For the Lord your God, the great and awesome God, is among you. I love that he didn't just say he's with you. What did he say? He's among you. He's among you. What does the scripture tell us? Where two or three are gathered, what? There the Lord is in our midst. And I'm often blown away, you know, especially when we consider like this last week looking at the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church and the experiences my brothers and sisters are having around the world. You know, I remember when I was in Peru and uh, talking to some of the pastors. The pastors at the pastors' conference in Peru, and we were in the jungle, the, the pastors that came, some of them had to paddle in a canoe for three days just to get to where we were going. And when I, was, when I was in California, I knew people who wouldn't drive an hour and a half to go anywhere because that's just too much traffic. What's it like to row a boat for three days to get there? And then to see, I remember one pastor in particular, he came in and he had been up a tree um, <clears throat> picking, picking something out of a tree and fallen. And literally it popped his body like like a piece of fruit falling out of a tree. And he was split from his ear to his navel. And he had got some kind of a infection so the wound wouldn't heal. It wouldn't come together. It wouldn't could, could join. So he had this big rope-like, looked like twine for stitches to just try to hold everything together. Now, it wasn't bleeding all the time, but it just, it just wasn't healing. And uh, just hearing the the stories of God's deliverance and God's touch. And I remember thinking, Kathy and I thinking right before I went down there, we're thinking, well, I don't know if this is a good idea or a bad idea because I had just had back surgery. And, and right after my back surgery, I got this dumb infection in it because they glued my back together instead of using staples like I asked. But they never listened to me because what do I know? So they glued it and it got infected and they gave me like 800 billion pills to take You guys ever had that infection? They give you this pill bottle like this big and you're supposed to take them all. Even though after about a week, it seems like everything's pretty good, you know. I'm still alive, so it worked. But I took those pills with me to Peru. Why did I do that? And all of a sudden, I'm bumping into a pastor in the middle of the Amazon who has no hope of getting any pills. And I got the stuff that they use in the in the States for the exact same kind of infection. Is God able or not? What are the odds of him ever getting that? So I handed him my bottle. The next year when we went, he was all good. The infection was done, stitches were out, has a big old gnarly scar, but hey, he's good to go. He's good to go. God is able to do abundantly and above what we can even ask or imagine. But for us to walk in faith, we got to believe that God did it before. 
And so he'll do it again. That's what God does. And then he goes on in verse 23, because God is among you. And the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. Just in case there is somebody who thinks it all ought to happen overnight. It is a process. Learning to walk with the Lord, learning to walk in victory, it's a process. God didn't wipe out all the enemies and say, there, just go take it. He said, little by little by little, I'm going to give you victory. Little by little, persevere. Little by little, learn to endure. Little by little, God would give the victory. He still does the same thing in our lives today. You will be unable to destroy them at once. Lest the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Well, the beasts would move into, and move into the houses and then you have to fight the beasts. So we'll just wait. As you are willing to possess and conquer, I'll give you the victory. And you'll possess every place you're willing to put the sole of your foot. But the Lord your God will deliver them over to you. And will elicit and inflict defeat among them until they are destroyed. Who wins a victory? The guys with their big swords? Or because they had this great plan? We have to watch. Because that's what we do when we start in, uh, experiencing victory. It was by my mighty hand. By my ability. That's why. But it says here that it was the Lord God that destroyed them. And he will deliver their kings into your hand. And you will <clears throat> destroy their name from under heaven. No one will be able to stand against you until you have destroyed them. You, will, you shall burn the carved image of their gods with fire. And do not covet the gold or silver that is on them, nor take it for yourself, lest you be snared by it. For it is an abomination to the Lord your God. Nor shall you bring an abomination into your house, lest you be doomed to destruction like it. You shall utterly detest it and utterly abhor it. For it is an accursed thing. Funny. The final words of Moses saying, be careful of these things, guys. Don't even let them in your house. In Israel today, you can find literally thousands upon thousands upon thousands of them. So many houses had these carvings and these gods within them. Then he goes on in chapter 8. Now, okay, guys, as you walk in the victory, as you're experiencing this victory, listen. Every commandment, which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which your father swore to your, uh, which the Lord swore to your fathers. And what's the key? He says, and you shall remember. Don't forget. Remember where you come from. Remember what God has done. That word remember, by the way, means to mark it or chart it. I always like the the concept of having a, a book, you know, a journal somewhere where you can write down the, thing, the, the things God's done in your life, the victories God's given. Because sometimes, to be honest, we forget, don't we? The storm in front of us, the wind's blowing, and we kind of lose sight of where God's been and what God's done. He says here to remember it, mark it, chart it. Remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. He led them all the way the 40 years. That's the 40 years, by the way, that they were disobedient. Yet God was with them. God didn't leave them or forsake them. He led them. 
And then he says, and to humble you, to humble you and test you. In the, in the humbling that God brought, the concept was to learn to be humble, to learn to be content in the situation you find yourself. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Isn't that what Paul told Timothy? Hey, the idea is, hey, guys, you know, we've got to learn to be abased and to abound. We've got to learn to have much and have little. And none of that changes our joy because our joy is in who? Our circumstances or in our Lord? And if a joy is in the Lord, if your joy is in Jesus Christ, it doesn't change that. He said, so I took you these 40 years to humble you. That concept behind that humbling is to learn to be content in the place where God has you and to test them. Test them. Why? Because God didn't know their heart? No, who didn't know their heart? They didn't. So God tests us to show us our heart. I've been there. I've been in the midst of a storm. I thought I was doing everything I was supposed to do. And I remember being all depressed and bummed and really crying out to God, what's going on? I don't understand. And I remember God just telling me. Just like he said to Peter in in John chapter 21. Jackie, do you love me more than these? Clear as day. Do I love you more than these? All this stuff. Do you love me more than that house? Than your bank account? Do you love me more than your new cars or your boats or your toys or whatever stuff you got? All the things you've accumulated. Do you love me more than those? If I take all that stuff away, do you still love me? Or do you only love me when it's all nice and neat with a little cherry on top? The Lord showed me that to show me my heart. And I still remember that day. I told the Lord, take it all. I don't want none of it then. Forget it. I'd rather have you than any of this stuff. God was testing, showing me that I was having a struggle still today with with coveting, with wanting something I don't have. There's always something. My wanter always wants something doesn't matter what i do i could feed it every day guess what the next day it still wants something so the lord tests what to 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 punish me because that's the way i am or to show me that's the way i am and so i can see oh yeah yeah you're right lord and then what's he want me to do utterly destroy it don't leave a stronghold don't leave it don't leave it anything in your life i've already given you the victory you conquer i've already given you the victory he says listen i i humbled you and i tested you to know what was in your heart whether you would keep his commandments or not so he humbled you and allowed you to hunger but what did he do with them when he allowed them to hunger next part of the verse and fed you with manna which you did not know nor did your fathers know what did he teach him total dependence on him i made you hungry not to punish you i made you hungry so you would learn to depend on me and i gave you bread from heaven he did that again didn't he through jesus christ his son your fathers ate bread but i am the true bread from heaven the bread of life john chapter 6 jesus lays it out he is that true bread the picture the fulfillment of the manna 
that they did not know, that he might make you to know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You think that what you need is this big pile of bread, but what you really need is me. Because man with God can do anything, can accomplish anything, can overcome any challenge. Man on his own is lost. So he shows them, man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. By the way, that's why we study the whole book. So we can study all the fun stuff. We can stay in the New Testament and we can study Revelation every six months. And people get excited about that and that's good. But the, the word of God says man will live from every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Every word. Every part of scripture. Paul said, I have not declared or I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. By the way, what Bible was Paul teaching? The Old Testament, New Testament wasn't written yet, right? Yeah, King James. In in fast forward. (laughs) He was going through with the Septuagint, teaching him through the Septuagint. The Old Testament scriptures making Christ visible on those scriptures. He says, man will live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, making every word apply. What's he say in verse 4? He says, your garments do not wear out for 40 years. Anybody got a pair of britches lasted 40 years? I don't. If you got a pair of britches that lasted 40 years, you ain't washed them. So go clean your britches. And then he says, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. That's kind of an interesting thing to say. You know what? When you, there's a book called None of These Diseases that kind of goes into this point. But the idea is this. When your diet is limited and it's a, you just have a certain amount of things to eat, you can get a disease called beriberi, which is seen in your body by your feet swelling. And it's caused because you don't have the nutrients that you need. Because your diet is, is not encompassing all the vitamins and minerals that you need. Yet God fed the children of Israel for 40 days, or for 40 years, manna. And their feet didn't swell. Because everything they needed was with Him. Everything they needed. You did that this 40 years, feet didn't swell. You should know. In your heart, that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you. That idea of chastening, guys, is not the idea of bringing down the consequence of punishment upon your life. If that's what you think discipline is, I think you're missing the boat. Discipline is training. When God chastens, He doesn't need to bring consequences in your life. Sin does that all by itself. Chastening trains you, teaches you. It teaches you where not to be, where not to go. Oh, man, I really should have been listening to the voice of God. I knew the Lord didn't want me to go there. I knew the Lord didn't want me to do this. The chasing of God leads us to conviction, which leads us to repentance, which leads us closer to Him. The condemnation comes from the enemy telling us, I can't believe you did that. Why don't you call yourself a Christian? I can't. And what does that condemnation do? It causes us to want to veer away from the Lord. We, we isolate ourselves. Oh, yeah, I can't believe I did. You know, I'm, I'm a, 
Next thing you know, I haven't been to church for six months or I haven't been for a year and I'm falling away because I'm under the condemnation of the enemy. That's not the conviction of God. That's not the chastening of God. The chastening of God corrects the character defects in men and women. That's what it does. That correction, that discipline, that scourging of a father upon his son is not a scourging to bring punishment. It's a scourging to train. The attitude is totally different. It's totally different. The attitude is all about helping us, testing us, humbling us, showing us how to walk with him. How to uh, experience all that God has for us and through us. Therefore, you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. The fear of God is what? The beginning of wisdom. Well, I want to know what it is. Then, then learn what the fear of God is all about. Learn to live your life not to bring dishonor or disappointment upon your heavenly father. That's the fear of God. The fear of God, the beginning of wisdom. Walk in his ways. For the Lord your God is bringing you to a good land, a land of brooks, water, fountains, springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees, of pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron, and out of whose hill you can, you can dig copper. He's saying, listen, I'm giving you everything. Literally, they're walking into houses they didn't build, fields they didn't plant, Things they didn't have to irrigate, and they're going to get it all right now. Boom, prosperity. And the Lord knows how we're made. That's why he wrote the next verse. Because the next verse says, So when you have eaten and are full, bless the Lord. By the way, this is where our, our Jewish friends get the concept of praying after the meal. We get all in bondage. If you don't pray before, you're going to get bellyache. The Bible says, eat, be full. And when you're full, learn to thank the Lord when you're full. Learn to thank the Lord when you're experiencing all the prosperity and you got all the good stuff and all those things are happening. Learn to praise the Lord then. Because what's, what's our propensity? The next verse, beware that you do not forget the Lord. Beware. Man, we see it over and over and over and over 10,000 times in the book of Judges. Soon as times are good, they fall away. Soon as times are hard, they call upon the name of the Lord. At some point, we've got to realize that's how we're made, right? We want to learn to praise the name of the Lord in the good times. To be thankful for what He's given us. We're coming up to Thanksgiving, right? In a, in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our Thanksgiving Eve service, and we're going to hear from from uh, four different people are going to share a testimony with us about how God's been so good to them this year. We've got to learn to do that. To thank the Lord in the times of prosperity. To thank the Lord. Good times, bad times, whatever times. To learn to be thankful. To praise His name so that we don't forget the Lord our God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments, His statutes as I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full, and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them. And when your herds and your flocks multiply, and your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God, 
who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Does that happen? Yes. Case in point, United States. Where do we start? Who, who got this whole thing going? And the nation began, and the nation struggled, and the nation overcome. Because we look at our founding fathers, and we see that the things they did were founded on the Word of God. But then what happened? God's blessing happened. And when God's blessing happened, what happened? We, we had gold, and we had silver, and we had huge herds and beautiful homes, and blessing like we couldn't imagine. And one day we woke up and said, like Nebuchadnezzar, look at the kingdom we have built. We're so great, mighty, and powerful. Really? Man, we're so full of pride. How long we've been a nation? A little better than a couple hundred years? Yeah. That's not even an antique yet in Israel. You have to be a thousand years old to be an antique. If that was true, how many antique shops would we have? Not very many, huh? So we have this short little history, and we think we got all the answers, you know? Like, this is the way to do it. For crying out loud, Rome lasted over a thousand years. We're 200, and we're so smart and mighty and powerful and incredible. We take our eyes off the Lord, and what begins to happen? Take God out of our schools. What happens to our schools? Take prayer out of schools. Did our schools get better? I remember, I was just sharing with somebody today, they used to give whoopings in school. Now, I'm not saying that necessarily... That's God. But when I went to school, I'm not kidding you. I went to school in California, by the way. And I remember my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Romo, he had a yardstick on the bottom of his chalkboard. And he'd give everybody one warning. Now I was talking or throwing paper, doing something kids do in class, right? And I'd do something, and, and Mr. Romo look at me and go, Jackie, you do that again. You're coming up here. Now, that was bad. But I paid no heed to the warning. And so what was next, Mr. Ernst? Jackie, come up here, put your hands on the bottom of that chalkboard. Oh, now, I'm thinking I know what this is going to be like. But until you experienced, you had no idea. So you'd push the envelope a little bit. And I put my hands on the bottom of that chalkboard... And I swear to you, Mr. Romo must have had like four steps back. Now, he did not hit me across the buttocks. He hit me right above my knees, between my behind and my knees, on the back of my legs. Do you want to know how many times I was trouble in that class after that? Zip. Zip. No way was he putting that thing on my backside again. But and, and as you go back the generations and you tell stories about what school was like, you know what my, uh, uh, what do they call that, that thing, the, the church thing when you graduate? What's that called, babe? Baccalaureate. You know where my baccalaureate was at? In the church gym. You know who was there? All the pastors in the community leading us in Scripture, praying for the graduates, praying for the kids. They do that anymore? Man. We, we lost sight. We pulled God out of school. We look at our schools today. You got kids going with guns. Kids going with knives. People getting stabbed. People getting shot. At least in the schools where I came from. Still happening. 
Kids out of control. Parents don't even know how to control their kids. Nobody knows how to, to walk in the statutes that the Lord God laid out. Because we put cast them all aside. God said life was sacred, so what do we do? We kill the babies. How are we different than the nation of Israel? Sacrificing the children of, of you know, the, the affairs that they were having because, ah, you know, this is a complication. Let's just get rid of the baby. We'll sacrifice them to Molech. So they burned them in the fire or they burned them with saline solution. What's the difference? But one you can see, smell, and hear. And we think we're more civilized because we do it so you can't. When they offered their sacrifices to Molech, they would beat the drums to drown out the, the cries of the baby. Beat the drums till the crying stopped. They're no different. No different. Moses said, guys, if you forget and turn away all those blessings, what are we experiencing today? We turn our back on the Lord. We think we've built this kingdom. We've done all these things. What are we experiencing now? Whatever a man sows, what's the scripture say? That's what he's going to reap. One thing I know about sowing and reaping, I'm not much of a farmer, so we got any farmers, they can straighten me out. But I could plant one seed, and I can reap a whole lot more than that, right? I plant one, one little corn seed in the ground, and that the stalk that grows, how many corn seed am I going to get on it? Lots. What a man sows, that's what he's going to reap. That's what he's saying out. Don't forget God, don't forget what God's done. Don't forget what God's doing. Great news is, has anything changed? Is God still giving us a victory? Is God still able? Is God still able to move and and change our communities, our families, our houses, our lives? Is God still doing that today? Sure he is. But a church in China and Japan is blowing up. They keep trying to kill it. And it keeps growing. One day they're going to start sending missionaries over here. Get us squared away. That's all right. God is still able. God still works. God still moves. He reminds them in verse 15. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and a thirsty land where there was no water. Who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Remember that rock who was Christ, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us that's how they got their water. That's how they got their bread, their very sustenance and everything that they did, guys. The, the food that they received, each one was a picture of Jesus Christ being everything we need. He's the bread we need. He's the water we need. It's everything we need. Being in him. Being in him. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do you what? Good in the end. That's the difference. The chastening of God, the humbling that God does, the testing that God does, it's not for our destruction, it's for our good. That's how he gives us a future and a hope. By what... He works in our life by giving us beauty for ashes. The very things that we think, oh, there's nothing good can ever come from this. And God brings forth good from it because he's able to raise up the living 
from the dead. He's able to do all those things. We can trust. We can know. We can believe. He goes on and says, Then you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That sounds like one of our politicians right now. Oh, we're so smart and mighty. Yeah. Oh, good luck. Good luck. But what does he say in verse 18? You shall remember the Lord your God. For it's He who gives you the power to get wealth. That He may establish His covenant, which He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And it shall be if, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you will surely perish. 2,000 years, no nation of Israel. But God was faithful to his promise and he brought them back. Just like God's faithful to his promise to you and I. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. Hey, God says, you're going you're gonna to perish, you'll pass away. But was God done with them? No, man. Was God still with them wherever they were? Man, you ever read the stories about the Holocaust and the, and the different things that occurred? Can you read those stories and say God wasn't with them? Yeah, it's horrible. But God was there, just like he was the 40 years in the wilderness. Just like he was with the prodigal son in the middle of the pigs. God was there. He's there. Always waiting, always willing. When the heart will turn and remember the Lord your God and what he's done. That's a big key for us to walk the victorious Christian life. Remember what God, who God is and what God has done. Amen? Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. We can study your word. We can open up this incredible book, Lord God, and the insights, the final words of Moses saying, guys, you need to pay attention. Apply the word of God. Remember God in your life. Remember God in every area. Remember what God has done. Recite them, chart them, mark them. Teach them to your children. Stay focused on the Lord and God's blessing will remain with you. And then God will bring times of humbling and times of testing. But it's always for our good. Not for our destruction. God, I thank you that every word throughout the scripture is true and applicable to us. And I thank you, Father, as you teach us, as you guide us in the understanding that man will not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from your mouth. Constantly pouring over the word of God, how you guide, how you lead. Father, may we apply it. May we be, as even as Fritz prayed earlier, not just hearers of the word, not the, just those who say that's a great story, but don't mix it with faith of what good is it? According to the writer of Hebrews, it's no good. They didn't have the strength to stand. Let us not be hearers only, but doers also. Mixing it, that measure of faith, trusting in you, Lord. Applying your word, not just hearing it. And as we apply it, Lord God, we pray, Father. Pray for our nation. We pray for where we're at. We can't turn around a nation... Um, 
instantly as we stand here together, but we can begin life by life seeing your revival, repentance, change of hearts. One becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes eight. And on and on the word goes. Ah, God, I know that you are able. So pour out your spirit upon your people that we might do the work that you lay out before us and be glorified and magnified that we, your people, remember you. We lay this time before you and ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close uh, with a song of of worship. We invite you to, to worship with us. Afterwards, we'll hang out in the foyer and have some time of fellowship. Look forward to seeing you guys out there. God bless you. And go in peace. to understand what God has willed what God has won I only know it is my hand be my savior I take him at his word Christ died to save me, this I believe. And in my heart I find a Of Him to be my Savior. living, dying, let me pray. 
awesome God. Lord, uh, go with us as we fellowship, Lord. Lord, uh, go with us and Lord, guide us and lead us, Lord. Lord, give us more and more of your spirit, Lord. Lord, we are lost without you. Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. Lord, help us to abide in you, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen.